0: I'm Julie Douglas, host of The Stuff of Life,
2: a podcast that teases apart the tales we tell because when we crack open a story and look inside, we see the seeds of what make our world so maddening, so strange, and so achingly beautiful.
0: The Stuff of Life is a podcast about how we're all just getting by, learning, and surviving through the stories that we share. We'll look at everything from fear and what fuels it, the inconceivability of death and our desire to become immortal, to the big universal question in life, why don't men dance? Join me for the first episode on January 27th. You can find The Stuff of Life on iTunes or any other podcast provider. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'm Holly Fry. So many people's favorite time of the year right now, uh, because as is has as has become a tradition on our show. It's time to cap off 2015 slash start 2016 with a roundup of things that have been unearthed either figuratively or literally over the past year. Uh, there are people who look forward to this all year, apparently.
1: Well, there are people that, I mean, the second something hits the internet, like any sort of discovery or unearthing, they very quickly notify us. So I know there are people that just love unearthings.
0: Yes. So as is always the case, Some of these things did not actually come out of the Earth or the attic or the river or wherever uh, in 2015. But 2015 is when the findings were announced. Or in one case, 2015 is when we actually heard about it for some reason. Uh, Also, as usual, we're, we're grouping similar types of discoveries and finds together. But there are lots of things that really fit into more than one category. So if we're in the shipwreck category and we didn't say your favorite thing hold off on emailing us about it until after we get to the very end. <laughs> and you know that we actually didn't have it in a different category. It's also definitely not everything that was unearthed in 2015. It's not even everything in the pinboard that I made that had 170 137 pins on it the day that I did all of this compiling. There are not 137 things in these two episodes. We would have to talk <laughs> so fast. Uh also, after last year's Unearthed Episodes, in which I commented that I had a hard time finding anything that was about Africa but not Egypt, there's plenty of Egypt but not a lot of non-Egypt Africa, I added a whole bunch of new sources to my RSS readers and whatnot in hoping in the hope of finding more cool unearthings from places that are not North America, Europe, and Egypt. And unfortunately, while I did get about 35 more pins than last year... Uh, I have the same shortages in places that are not uh, North America, Europe, and Egypt. So that's all the caveats. Uh, The bulk of today's episode is mostly finds that relate to podcasts from our archive. And we're going to finish it off with a longtime favorite of Shipwrecks. Uh, But first, we're going to get the Egypt out of the way.
1: At the very beginning of the year, a team of archaeologists from the Czech Institute of Egyptology announced that they had found the tomb of a previously unknown Egyptian queen. She's believed to have been the wife of 5th dynasty pharaoh Reneferef, who ruled Egypt about 4,500 years ago.
0: The queen's tomb was found in his funeral complex, and based on writing on the tomb's walls that was probably put there by the builders, she was Queen Kentkaus, uh, most likely, Kentkaus III, since two prior queens with the same name have already been identified, the team concluded that the queen was probably Renefreth's wife based on the contents of the tomb and the proximity to the pharaoh's tomb.
1: Interestingly, the Czech Republic's Charles University press release on the subject identifies the pharaoh as Renefreth and the queen as Kentkaus, but most news articles have called the queen. which seems like sort of a reasonably alternate representation of another language, but call the pharaoh Neferefre, which is like a weird anagram.
0: We might get some knowledgeable Egyptologists to explain to us why that is, but I could not figure it out in the time it took me to work on this episode, because like, the queen's names are similar enough that it seems like, yeah, that could have just been an alternate way of representing this language that uses a totally different set of phonemes. Uh, but the pharaoh's name seems like somebody mixed the letters into a different order.
1: Well, and there is also that cultural tradition in Egypt of people having multiple names depending on who was referencing them. So there were royal names, there were personal names, there were family names. It could be that they plucked a different one of those out. Um, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. That's my limited Which- knowledge on the subject. Regardless, previously unknown Egyptian queen, pretty cool. Uh, in the news of a much more well-known Egyptian queen, Nicholas Reeves of the University of Arizona made news this summer when he published a paper theorizing that Queen Nefertiti is actually buried in a secret tomb inside of King uh pyramid in the Valley of the Kings. So this theory is largely based on highly detailed scans of King Tutankhamun's tomb, which he believes show markings indicating that there are concealed doors back there.
1: So one set of doors, if it indeed does exist, seems likely to go to a storeroom because its size and position mirror another already discovered storeroom. But another set of doors is larger, and it seems, in Reeves' analysis, to mirror the dimensions and orientation of other royal tombs that are, again, already known about. Among the archaeological community, this paper has been met with
0: some cautious optimism, and later this year, much more recently, radar equipment was brought in to try to get a different uh, and deeper look, along with x-ray equipment. This was still in the news as recently as a week ago, so this is still clearly a developing story. I wonder if we will even have more information that comes out between when we recorded and when this episode comes out which happens to us sometimes.
1: That's possible. We have a couple weeks left in the year, so if if, if this is falling in and you're like, hey, that's what's up. Uh, so from outside of Egypt then, but related, the remains of 16 2,000-year-old pyramids have been found in Sudan during the time of the Kush Kingdom. This find is part of an ongoing excavation that's been in the works since 1998. Six of the pyramids are made of stone and ten are made of mud brick.
0: All of these uh, pyramids are part of a cemetery, and they all seem to have had funerary purposes, although many of the other sites within the cemetery don't have pyramids associated with them.
1: The relevance to Egypt isn't just because Sudan and Egypt share a border. One of the discoveries in the same cemetery complex is a table carved with a scene of a priest making an offering to Osiris. The goddess Isis is shown as well. Isis and Osiris, of course, have a famous place in Egyptian mythology and were revered among the Kush as well.
0: So I know it's a little early in the episode to already be stopping for a brief sponsor break. However, there are so many uh, unearthings this year that relate directly to past episodes in the archive that that is the bulk of today's episode. And I wanted to keep them all together. So we're going to pause for a brief moment for a word from a sponsor and then get right to all of that.
1: Yes, because it's a delicious sponsor. It really is. Stuff You
0: Missed in History Class is sponsored by NatureBox.com. And NatureBox is dedicated to making smart, delicious snacking easy. Part food brand, part data-driven tech company, NatureBox has a proprietary algorithm that helps you discover your next favorite snack. So basically, it uses your preferences to predict what you are going to love eating. So you just tell them what you like, if it's sweet or spicy or vegan or non-GMO, and your algorithm will provide personalized recommendations based on your preferences. Uh, I personally am super excited about spicy
1: sriracha popcorn. How about you, Holly? Mm, Mmm, I'm still fairly obsessed with the coconut cashews, and I've looped back around to once again being obsessed with the Big Island pineapple. It feels like I'm eating a candy bar, but, and there's sugar in it, but it's more natural and it's not like a, a processed gross candy bar.
0: Yum. So, our favorites, in addition to all of those, there are hundreds of ridiculously delicious snacks to choose from. They all get delivered directly to your doorstep. And there is zero chance of getting bored because uh, they release brand new choices every single month. Those uh, spicy sriracha popcorn, that is a new one on the menu. NatureBox is obsessed with delivering snacks with the bold, innovative flavors that you crave and ingredients that you can trust. Visit NatureBox.com to get 50% off your first box right now. Head to naturebox.com right now to unbox a world of taste and possibility. One last time that's naturebox.com for 50 percent off your first box of beyond tasty handpicked snacks sent directly to your doorstep. Now we'll get back to our story. So on to the past podcast updates portion of this year's Unearthing. A collection of Rosa Parks' personal papers became available for the public for the first time this year. And we talked in our two-part podcast about her, about how a lot of people have this very simplistic, overly romanticized idea of her involvement in the Montgomery bus boycott. That they have a sense that she was just a tired lady trying to get home, when in reality she already had a lengthy history of activism and involvement in the NAACP before that happened. These papers go another step further than that, revealing that the woman herself was in a lot of ways a lot more complex and more radical than the soft-spoken public image that she had.
1: This collection includes 7,500 manuscripts and 2,500 photos, and it's on loan to the Library of Congress for the next decade.
0: I really love this one. They haven't been available for public... Uh, viewing for long enough to have like a lot of really deep readings of all of them. But I love the idea that this person who a lot of people carry in our minds is this sort of soft, soft spoken, sweet individual was a lot more complex than that. And a lot of times like more angry than that. And a lot of times more radical than that. I think it is awesome when we get to sort of flesh out these people that have taken on a near mythological sense in our own brains and get a better sense of them. Being actual human beings.
1: (laughs) That's sort of the peril of being an iconic figure in history, right? You get simplified down to one or two sentences often. And humans are complex. Nobody is ever that simple uh, that they could be summated in two sentences. But it happens a lot. And Rosa Parks is a fascinating figure. So like you, I'm very excited that we get a lot more insight into her as a person.
0: So we also already knew that Utsy, everybody's favorite Iceman and the subject of both a past podcast and past unearthed uh, announcements, I'm pretty sure. We know he had tattoos. Now we know a lot more about what those tattoos were and where they were and how many they had. Utsi's tattoos were most likely made by rubbing charcoal into cuts on his skin. So if you combine that pretty superficial color placement with the fact that his skin darkened a lot over time... And you get it a pretty tricky task to try to figure out what is tattoo and what is just dark, leathery skin.
1: The team that did this analysis on Etsy's uh, skin wound up using a variety of non-invasive imaging techniques combined with a computer program, they wrote, that allowed them to compare colors pixel by pixel. A complete accounting of the 61 tattoos, most of them patterns of parallel and intersecting lines, was published in the Journal of Cultural Heritage in October. And the hope is that this research will help understand how these tattoos functioned in Utsi's society. There were several news releases about utsi's tattoos over the course of the year, and the
0: number of them kept increasing <laughs> with each one as they got more and more detailed analysis. So it's possible... Even more tattoos discovered later. Um, uh, one of the things a lot of people write to us about is that a forensic team announced that it had found another grave tied to the wreck of the Batavia and the subsequent mutiny that followed that wreck. That announcement came this January, and it actually started with a single tooth that somebody found on Beacon Island in 2013. Uh, and the archaeological team that went back to the island to study it further eventually found a skeleton but oddly the skeleton did not belong to that tooth or vice versa the tooth and the skeleton belonged to two different people
1: this find is part of ongoing archaeological work on Beacon Island a mass grave was found there back in 1999 but fishing shacks had to be removed before archaeological study could really begin our
0: next uh, our next Unearthing is kind of a twofold thing. Katie and Sarah did a podcast back in 2010 called Who Stole the Amber Room. And this year, news reports came out that a 68 year old pensioner named Karl Heinz Kleine had been digging for the chamber in Western Germany. So, the Amber Room, if you're not familiar, is a room made of amber panels that was a gift to Tsar Peter the Great in 1716, and it was looted by Nazis in World War II.
1: However, Later in the year, other reports came out of a Nazi gold train that was found in Poland. Then those claims were rolled back, and then they were put forth again. And one item purportedly on the supposed train, if it exists, because now we've had a lot of back and forth, is actually the Amber Room. This
0: whole Nazi gold train question is kind of tricky to figure out. A regional governor in Poland said that he doubted that it was true, and then a a deputy cultural minister said he was certain that the reports were true, the treasure hunters claiming to have found it have remained anonymous, and the latest report I could find on the subject of whether this gold train is a real thing or not was from last week, which said there should be a definitive answer in, quote, a matter of days. As of right now when we're sitting here, no definitive answer about whether the gold train really exists.
1: We've got an episode and an update in the archive on what happened to the lost colony at Roanoke. And this year, there were actually two different teams announcing two different sets of findings in response to that specific question. And a lot of the reporting on each of them was written as though only one uh, team and set of findings existed. Yeah, we got
0: so many tweets that were like, they figured it out! As though there were not a completely different team with a completely different set of findings <laughs> also happening at the same time. So one team was excavating near Cape Creek on Hatteras Island, and they found a number of 16th century English artifacts. Some of these were probably trade goods, but others like a ring and the hilt of a rapier and a piece of a writing slate look more like people's possessions, not things that were being traded.
1: And another team has been looking on the North Carolina mainland, following clues on a map. That's the map discussed in the Lost Colony update in the archive. The First Colony Foundation has been conducting a dig on the site known as Site X and located a style of pottery known as borderware, which was in common use at Roanoke. They found other English goods on the site as well. So while there's still a fair amount of mystery, the going theory at this point
0: is that colonists from Roanoke split into at least two groups and assimilated with two different Native American communities, one on Hatteras Island and one on the mainland.
1: We will now touch back on uh, the Nazca Lines, which was an episode I researched quite a while back. Uh, 3D scans of the Nazca Lines have found a series of previously unknown geoglyphs. These scans covered a region about a mile north of Nazca, and it's adjacent to other new geoglyphs that were found last year. The new geoglyphs from this year, which were dated to between 400 and 200 BCE, are mostly of animals, including possibly a llama.
0: I love that it's maybe a llama. (laughs) I do, too. So during last year's Unearthed episodes, we spent a lot of time talking about the Franklin Expedition, because one of the ships was discovered last year. This year, researchers continued to add support to something people already speculated about in terms of the ill-fated expedition, and that was that the survivors turned to cannibalism near the end. In a paper that was published in the Journal of Osteoarchaeology, Researchers examined bones that seemed to have been broken and boiled, which is a thing that people would normally do to try to get at the marrow inside of the bones when they were literally starving and down to the last possible pieces of the body they were eating. So they called their findings tentative. But if they're accurate, just like was true with where the shipwreck was located, it basically confirms what First Nations people have been saying all along.
1: Uh, To some people's surprise, we did a whole podcast episode on Stonehenge last year uh, after a number of non-invasive imaging studies, mostly through the Stonehenge Hidden Landscape Project, unearthed lots of discoveries there.
0: We got some really angry emails about that episode from people who were angry that they used their data plan to download something that they knew about already. Uh I'm sorry you didn't personally miss that in history class. We can't really prevent that, though. However, these studies that we talked about last year are still ongoing. And this year, archaeologists announced they had found traces of more larger monuments about three kilometers, which is about two miles away. And this time, it is a set of enormous previously unknown standing stones under the already known about Durrington Walls.
1: Other work at the site has focused on figuring out what the people who built all these monuments ate. Analysis of animal bones, residue on pottery, and the like has revealed that they mostly ate animals. Not a lot of plant material showed up in the analysis. And foods containing dairy were prepared at a different site than the meat, possibly because dairy was used for ceremonial purposes and not for eating, or because it was perhaps perceived as an elite food only for the few. Also, uh, it was revealed that they had seasonal feasts.
0: I'm imagining a sort of Stonehenge-esque builder Thanksgiving. <laughs> everybody getting together and just chowing down on giant hunks of animal because that is most of what they found in the cooking pot. So uh, possibly the most contentious thing we put on our Facebook the entire year. A photo bought for $2 at a junk store may or may not show past podcast subject Billy the Kid playing croquet. Uh, Numismatics firm Kagan's Inc. claims that they have authenticated this picture beyond all possible doubt, but a number of scholars of the American West All doubted that, in spite of this being beyond a reasonable doubt, one valid criticism of all of this is that it was announced as part of a television special, like a two-hour TV special, not as like a peer-reviewed paper, which most of the other things we are talking about are of the peer-reviewed paper variety, not the TV special variety. People got in heated arguments about this on our Facebook. So even though they've claimed
1: that it's undisputable, the jury is actually still out.
0: I would say, uh, yeah. Uh, I also suspect that some of the people cannot be convinced.
1: I would agree. I think that's that's probably a fair assessment of the situation. Uh, so we will move on because we're not going to solve it to Suleiman the Magnificent. Hungarian researchers announced that they may have found the tomb of past podcast subjects, Suleiman the Magnificent, or at least part of him. Uh, This tomb was unearthed in southern Hungary in November, and it is believed to contain Suleiman's heart and intestines. Most of Suleiman's body is in a mosque in Istanbul, but his heart and organs were removed and entombed at the site of his death. And that's the tomb that researchers believe they have found now, and they hope to confirm that finding in the spring.
0: Yeah, that one's very recent, so we don't have a ton of information about it, but maybe next year we will know the answer for sure. Uh, last but not least for all of these past episode updates, apparently we are still not done talking about Richard the third in that car park. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have talked about Richard the third in the car park for every une- unearthed episode that Holly and I have worked on. It seems like forever, but there is still more to discuss. Not just the fact that he was reburied in an oak coffin in March of this year. In August of 2013, a limestone sarcophagus uh, was opened from the same burial site as where Richard III was found. And it was revealed to have another different lead-lined coffin inside of it. This year, researchers opened that one, and they found an el- an elderly woman's skeleton
1: inside. It seems as though she was buried well before Richard III was, though, so not actually related to him. All speculation had pointed to the body in the coffin being male, since the site was once home to Greyfriars Church. That was a friary of the Franciscan order. But it was not a male, and we're still trying to figure out the mystery.
0: Yep, and apparently several of the bodies they have found that were buried uh, during the time that it was um, the, the friary. are There are more women's bodies Than they expected. They expected them to be almost all men from that time period. But there are apparently lots of women. And they're trying to figure out why that is. Do not yet know. We do know that after another brief sponsor break, we're going to talk about some shipwrecks.
1: People love shipwrecks. Except the ones that don't.
0: Except for that person that said, please, for the love of God, no more shipwrecks.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hey, it's New Year's resolutions time coming up. I love making resolutions. I didn't do so great with mine this year, but I had some other goals I hadn't planned. Uh, but if you're one of those people that's a little iffy on it, here's a super easy one for you. Make the first step in your resolution plan. Simple, simple, simple. Put on your underwear. <laughs> not old, yucky underwear that's worn out. Put on new, fabulous underwear. Start with a fresh new pair of MeUndies, which is the world's most comfortable underwear. And this will make a really easy resolution that you will enjoy fulfilling. Just head over to meundies.com, choose from a variety of styles in limited edition patterns for both men and women, and they will arrive right at your door. This is the next level of underwear. Each pair is made with their signature Modal fabric. This is proven to be twice as soft as cotton. I will attest, it is incredibly soft. They don't just feel better than regular undies, they make you feel better overall. You will just have a much smoother and better day if your base layer is perfect. And it's guaranteed to be the most comfortable underwear you have ever worn or your first pair is free so do not start your new year in old yucky underwear make a change and head to meundies.com history right now and you will get 20% off your first order plus shipping is always free for all orders in the U.S. and Canada so once again, for 20% off your first order of the world's most comfortable underwear, head to meandiescom slash history right now and make the best resolution you ever will. You'll be so happy you did. So to kind of bridge this gap between the
0: past podcast connections and the shipwrecks, we are going to talk about the Antikythera shipwreck. Yay! So there's been a lot of work going on this year in the Antikythera shipwreck. And a team led by Jacques Cousteau and funded by the Greek government actually recovered a ton of artifacts from there in the 70s. But then there was a hiatus of about 40 years when nobody really went down there. Divers started going back in 2014 with the hope that newer techniques and newer equipment would help them recover even more stuff from the wreck.
1: Among these newer techniques and pieces of technology... Waterproof iPads, where they can mark the locations of things that they spot on hyper-detailed maps while they're actually underwater.
0: So these new techniques and tools have definitely worked. A team of explorers brought up more than 50 new items in September alone, including a flute that was made of bone or ivory, lots and lots of ceramics and glass, pieces of the ship itself, and a bronze armrest that might have been part of a
1: throne. Brendan Foley, a marine archaeologist co-directing the project, described it in Smithsonian Magazine as, quote, like a tractor-trailer truck wrecked on the way to Christie's Auction House for fine art. It's just amazing.
0: Uh, also in the just-amazing shipwrecks categories, Columbia announced recently that it had found the wreckage of the Spanish galleon San Jose, and this galleon sank on June 8, 1708 during the War of Spanish Succession, it is believed to contain literally billions of dollars worth, that's billion with a B, billions of dollars worth of gems and
1: precious metals. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos is calling this a major discovery for Colombia. But the American firm Sea Search Armada, which also goes under the, the abbreviation SSA, is claiming to have already found this wreck in 1982. And Spain is trying to claim this wreck as well, under the argument that it should be returned to its nation of origin, citing a UNESCO convention about items of national heritage. So at this point, it is poised to go multiple rounds in international courts which is not surprising when you consider the billions of dollars at stake.
0: I think the court battle has the potential to be as dramatic as the shipwreck. Uh, Archaeologists who were actually looking for Captain Henry Morgan's ship instead stumbled onto a completely different vessel in 2011, and they identified what it was this year. It was the merchant ship Incarnacion, which sank on the Caribbean side of Panama in 1681. This was part of a fleet of ships that was carrying gold and silver from the Americas back to Spain. What is surprising about this particular shipwreck is that it went down in pretty shallow water, but it has most—it has mostly remained unlooted. The seafloor also shifted around the hull, which preserved a large portion of the hull as well. So this is a surprisingly intact, well-preserved wreck, considering how old it is and how close it is to the surface. So This is another one where in future episodes, we may know more about what's actually down there.
1: And similarly, in looking for one thing and finding another, uh, crews that were looking for the Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 found a previously uncharted shipwreck in May. After sonar detected a cluster of objects on the seafloor off the coast of Western Australia, the team sent down an underwater camera and found that it was not the missing flight, but instead a 19th century cargo ship.
0: A team of marine archaeologists led by Barry Clifford, operating off the coasts of the coast of Madagascar, announced in May that they had found buried treasure bel- belonging to pirate captain William Kidd. Clifford, who discovered the, wick of, the wreck of the Witta, another past podcast subject, claimed to have found Kidd's ship, Adventure Galley, as well. And the treasure he reported having found included a bar of silver weighing 55 kilograms.
1: However. A team from UNESCO visited the site and they dismissed the claims outright, saying the, quote, silver bar was in fact a lead ballast and that the, quote, ship was a broken part of construction debris from St. Marie Port in Madagascar. Uh, Clifford's team, however, is standing by their claims.
0: I don't totally know. I mean, I'm guessing UNESCO knows what they're talking about. Uh, Barry Clifford did legitimately discover the wreck of the Witta, but since then he has also claimed to have found one of Christopher Columbus's ships and that one didn't pan out either. So, see what happens with this one. Last of the straight up shipwrecks, a joint Greek American team found a site of 22 distinct shipwrecks this year all in a 17 square mile area. They span all the way from the late Roman period to the late medieval period. And this really serves as like a watch this space for future unearthed episodes because they've barely begun to analyze what's in all these shipwrecks. Just the fact that it was 22 in one space spanning, you know, a thousand or something years of seafaring history. Pretty big deal.
1: I'm saying don't go to those waters, maybe. I know! Yeah! <laughs> Seems like
0: not a Uh, safe area, I'm just guessing. That part yeah, that part of the Greece the Greek archipelago, very dangerous. Don't go there in your boat uh without appropriate (laughs) sonar and whatnot. Uh now we're gonna talk about a few things that have been hauled up out of rivers and things.
1: So, an English warship, the London, broke into and sank in the Thames Estuary in the 17th century. And this year, archaeologists managed to haul its perfectly preserved gun carriage out of the water. They had to use a crane aboard a barge to get to it. This gun carriage would have held a nine-foot cannon,
0: and its recovery is notable both because of its condition, which is reported to be exceptional... Uh, and to what else it might lead to them finding, including possibly the cannon itself.
1: Also hauled up this year was a huge figurehead in the shape of a sea monster that was on the prow of the 15th century warship Grøbschunden. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it is fun to say, uh, which belonged to the Danish king Hans. The thing weighs 660 pounds, and it was carved from the top of an 11-foot beam. The ship it had been attached to sank at anchor after it caught on fire. So this ship's name means
0: grip dog, and the figurehead looks kind of like an extremely ferocious dog that has something in its mouth. The thing in its mouth looks maybe like a person, like maybe this dog is eating a person on the prow of the ship to terrify your enemies.
1: Uh, Possibly the best sentence in this year's uh, research that Tracy did for Unearthed is from Discovery News article on this finding, which is, quote, Very few wrecks from that period have escaped the ravages of sea worms.
0: (laughs) That sentence made me have to look it up, make sure I was not reading an April Fool's Day article. Uh, I feel like every year there's something particularly delightful that just uh, comes up. Last year it was quotes from a guy who was who was doing research at at, Hadrian, at Hadrian's Wall and everything he said was funny. This time it is the ravages of sea worms.
1: I think that would be absolutely beautiful and sort of morbidly hilarious on a gravestone with no explanation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in South Carolina, underwater archaeologists hauled three Civil War cannons out of the Petey River after a six-year search for them. And each of these cannons weighs about 15,000 pounds. Two of them were Confederate cannons, and the third was captured from the Union. According to researchers, Confederate troops threw the cannons into the river to keep them from
1: being captured by Sherman
0: as he moved through North Carolina. And then they scuttled the ship that they were on.
1: Another Civil War cannon, also from a scuttled ship, was hauled out of the Savannah River this year as well.
0: It's always, as I noted earlier, weird and funny to me. The patterns that emerge as I go through all these things... Uh, and the fact that we had, uh, several exceptionally heavy naval things hauled up out of the water, that, that tickled me. Does, and again, the sea worms.
1: Well, who, so, who doesn't love a good sea worm quote? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that is part one of, of all of our unearth- unearthings for the year. Our next episode will be part two. We will talk about more of a hodgepodge of things that are, uh, not So often related to past episodes of the podcast. Do you also have listener mail? I do. It is from Amy. And Amy says, hi, Tracy and Holly. I have just finished the Gallipoli podcast and I really loved your presentation. I've just been to Turkey on family holiday and we visited Gallipoli. I traveled to Turkey with my father, two brothers, an aunt and three cousins. Dad was very keen to be in Gallipoli for the 100th anniversary, not of the landing, but of the date my great-grandfather Charlie was wounded fighting on Hill 60, August 28th. He was shot during nighttime fighting and managed to be evacuated to a hospital ship and recovered in Africa before being sent to France. When he was injured again, losing an eye and finally getting home to Western Australia where he married his cousin's widow, Bernard was killed in France in 1916, and had three children as youngest as my grandfather. So we wouldn't exist if not for World War I. We toured the major battle sites and stood in awe of Anzac Cove. Many tears were shed that day for all our family and the people who fought and died there, particularly at the memorial featuring Ataturk's famous speech. Lone Pine and the Neck, which, to pause for a second, were places where particular uh, events happened that we, I don't think we mentioned them specifically in the episode. Lone Pine and the Neck were very moving places, but my dad and his cousins had a faucet through the scrub at Hill 60 and came away with some bullet casings, a bully beef tin, and some shrapnel fragments to take home as mementos. Words can't really describe how unforgiving the terrain is even now. Our guide, it was a local man with amazing knowledge. We were incredibly fortunate to have him as our guide. He had led the NATO chiefs on a tour before the centenary. He said they were all shocked by the landscape and remarked that seizing this area was next to impossible and ought never to have been attempted. He also led Russell Crowe on a three-day tour as Russell prepared to make the movie The Water Diviner. Growing up in Australia in the 90s when we learned about World War I, our focus on the Gallipoli campaign was on the incompetence of British High Command and lack of care of the Anzac troops. They were considered cannon fodder. I think it's less subjective now. But there's still an underlying disdain for those officers who received commissions based on who their dad was and as opposed to merit. Again, thank you for the excellent episode and all your hard work. Thank you, Amy. I wanted to read this just because it was one of many letters we got from people who had family members and relatives and friends of family. Uh, who served in Gallipoli? We got a lot of very thoughtful and generous letters from people who just shared their family memories with us. A lot of them shared memories of having, uh, gone to Turkey. We had a lot of people who sent us pictures from their travel in Turkey when they went with family members to see places where their, uh, their, their grandparents or great grandparents had fought. Um, so Amy's is just one of the many letters. Thank you so much for sending it. Thank you everyone who sent us, um, so many personal uh, recollections about your family and stories from your family history. I was a little nervous about that episode because we do have a fairly large, I mean, considering that like you and I are both Americans and it's our podcast is American talks about American history a lot. We have a reasonably large chunk of listeners from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and I was a little nervous that that episode was not going to tell them anything new, but. Most of the letters we've gotten have been very sweet and very thoughtful, and uh, and folks have been very gracious. So thank you so much for being kind and sharing your awesome stories with us. If you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash History, and on Twitter at in History. Our Tumblr is mist and we're also on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash History. If you want to learn a little bit more about something we've talked about today, come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. Put the word pirates in the search bar. You will learn about pirates and piracy and some of the pirate ships we've talked about in our shipwrecks part of this unearthing. Uh, if you want to come to our website, it's MissedInHistory.com. We're going to have show notes. It's going to have links to literally every story <laughs> that we have talked about today. That's uh, a lot of links. That will be in our in our show notes post, so you can go and read all of your stories for yourself if you would like. Uh, also, our Pinterest, there's a pin board that has all of the things that made it into this episode and all the things that didn't. So you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.